Good morning. It's great to see some of you we've not seen for a while. Welcome back. Great to have you here. Glad you feel um, comfortable in coming, and it's good. Things really are, we're beginning to see some changes, and uh, it's really, really, really exciting. Hey, we are in our series on Proverbs, and I wanted to mention that uh, it's not too late. Um, the the uh, devotional by Tim Keller on Proverbs that we promoted earlier is really a tremendous companion to this entire series. And I, when I teach, I do not use it. I do not use it as a source, as tempted as I might be, uh, so that it is really separate material that you'd be getting. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to, uh, uh, to check that out. Well, to start off here, I thought I'd talk about our bodies a little bit. And you know that your body and your brain is fearfully and is wonderfully made. In the book, Does My Goldfish Know Who I Am?, science writer Joshua Four explains to a nine-year-old boy named Tom how the brain can store so much information despite being so small. Now, an adult's brain weighs only about three pounds. This is a description to the nine-year-old. But it's made up of about 100 billion microscopic neurons. Each of these look like a tiny branching tree whose limbs reach out and touch other neurons. In fact, each neuron can make between 500 and 1,000 connections with other neurons, sometimes even more. That's more than 500 trillion connections. A memory is essentially a pattern of connections between neurons. Now, how this was clear to a nine-year-old, I'm not sure, but that's beside the point. Every sensation that you remember, every thought that you think, transforms your brain by altering connections within that vast network. By the time you get to the end of this sentence, you will have created a new memory, which means your brain will have physically changed. It's remarkable. The created world, including the physical body, is remarkable in beauty and complexity and intricacy. God's wisdom is evident in creation. And experiencing creation close up, honestly, it has been one of my life's greatest joys. Um, I know everyone cannot travel, and Louise and I did much of ours after our kids were older, but we count seeing creation as one of our greatest blessings over our 34 years together. From beaches the Pacific Ocean beaches on the west coast, to the towering cliffs and rock formations of southern Utah, to the vineyards along the Danube, uh, and the fall colors of those in Central Europe. Just remarkable beauty. Well, you know, actually, one of, the most, one of the most epic places we ever visited was a place called Nine Villages in Central China. It actually wasn't any villages. It was actually a cavern that you walked. You followed the path of a river to walk down into. It literally felt as if you were entering a Middle Earth fantasy. Part Rivendell with uh, stone-covered walking paths, walking along rushing streams that were bordered by these massive stone cliffs, and part the deep caverns of Moria. God's wisdom has left nothing untouched. No wonder the writer of the Psalms, exclaiming adoration, said, The earth is full of your love. That wisdom had a front row seat to God's creation is the basis 
of Solomon's final argument to his son to pursue wisdom. Proverbs 8 teaches us that the Lord created the world with wisdom. And that'll be the first part of our outline. It's a final argument. And then after that, we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 9. So that means this morning we will conclude the first section of this book. Remember, the first nine chapters are designed to shape our hearts to receive wisdom. So before wading into those bite-sized sayings beginning in chapter 10 that the Proverbs are famous for, in chapter 9, Solomon makes a final appeal. So this is our outline this morning, a final argument and a final appeal. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for our gathering here this morning. Thank you for the friends that are able to reconnect this morning. How beautiful it is to see them. Father, I also pray, I know that some here this morning, uh, loved ones are facing suffering, and we pray for them this morning. We pray for healing for those that are ill. Lord, we pray for some who have just lost close family members. We pray that you would comfort the grieving this morning. Father, we ask you that our hearts would be ready and shaped for wisdom this morning. Lord, may we treasure and value wisdom above everything else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. And um, in the beginning of chapter 8, Solomon begins to pivot away from sexual sin. And he reasserts the theme, the dominant theme of the first nine chapters. That is, wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Pursue it with all you have. And wisdom will protect you from the things that will steal your heart and affections from God. And so that brings us to verse 22, the role of wisdom in God's creation. And so that you can follow this, know that wisdom is personified here as a witness to and an instrument of creation. So will you please stand? And I'm going to begin reading Proverbs 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were set in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he to see its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, 
rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, if you are familiar with Genesis chapter 1, you see the obvious parallels, including the creation of man, hinted subtly at in verse 26, the dust of the earth, but brought out more fully in verse 31, rejoicing in his whole world, delighting in mankind. Genesis says that God took satisfaction in his work, pronouncing it very good. But after the creation of Adam and Eve, he pronounced over them a blessing and said it is very good. What is Solomon doing here? He is employing a literary device. He is giving wisdom the attributes of personality. Now, this is not to suggest wisdom is a person or being separate from God. That wisdom would only surface at creation would be logically impossible. For that would suggest prior to creation that God was not wise. And that can't be true. He is eternal. God was never in a state of being unwise are needing to grow in wisdom. No, this is a poetic way to say that wisdom was there at creation. Wisdom had a front row seat to God's creation. Wisdom does not have to rely on hearsay evidence as a eyewitness. Now the significance of this comes, becomes clearer when we compare wisdom's front row seat to what God told Job in chapter 38. Do you recall that conversation? Well, actually at that point it was one-sided. Though certainly God had heard Job's complaints. After Job's profound suffering and in his abject misery, he finally questions God's fairness. And God ultimately replies to Job from a storm. And Job had begun his lament with cursing the day he was born. So God now asks him about the birth of the universe. Verse 4 and 5 capture the essence of what God says to Job. God says, where were you, Job? When I laid the earth's foundations, tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? The point? Job was not a witness to creation. His limited as ours is limited. It's finite. We did not begin the thing, and we will not end the thing. Wisdom, however, was in attendance in and accounted for at creation. Other texts shed light on this poetic passage. Look at Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. What does this mean? It means that God created the world with wisdom. He did not create the world in a random or haphazard way. 
It means there is an ancient wisdom woven into the fabric of life from the beginning of time. It means there is an ancient wisdom external to us, still available to whoever will listen. Wisdom is not just for the philosopher or the intellectually brilliant, but as we will see, for anyone willing to admit they are simple and naive. It means that if we find this wisdom, we are connected to how the world really works. And if we're willing to live within its design, we can find our purpose and live by the patterns that make for human flourishing. Have you ever started a building project and not really known where you're going? Ever started to put something together, got halfway through, then realized you had it all wrong and had to start over? Okay. I am not going to ask for a show of hands. Putting things together for me, not even from scratch, but something others have made, is certain, 90% certain to be an exercise of futility or minimally a lot of frustration. Well, a few years ago, we needed some extra expertise, so we hired a certain worship leader with vast construction experience who will go nameless to help us build a shed for our daughter. Now things went well in the beginning. My wife, with instructions in hand, guided each step while the rest of us men folk did the labor. However, at lunchtime, a little before lunch, we lost my wife who helped my daughter in the preparation for lunch. I think we must have had some romantic notion that this was akin to a Amish, Amish barn raising. That we did finish in a day. Well, when we lost my wife, we lost strict adherence to the instructions. And when we returned from lunch, the place where the door was supposed to go was backwards or something like that. So, of course, that required partial unassemble and reassemble before moving forward. God did not have to do that. His wisdom guided him in every step. Every detail worked in perfect rhythm to reach the desired end. The subcontractors arrived on time, every time. They had every piece of material they needed to finish the job down to the smallest nail. The right tool was available at every moment. No rushing to Home Depot. Every planned interval, checking the work against the blueprint, showed consistency, perfect consistency with the plan. Every builder and every remodeler in this room wishes even one small project would go like that. But God's did because wisdom was at his side. So this is Solomon's final argument to his son, his closing case, so to speak, on why to love wisdom. It's an ancient wisdom and was there at creation. It has an authority to it. Let's move then to the second point in our outline. That's the final argument. Now let's move to the final appeal, chapter 9. 
And to clarify here before we read, or to, to, to give you the context of what's happening here, as I said, Solomon is moving to a final appeal. And so he's clarifying that a choice must be made. And so he continues to use personification, and he introduces us to two women. Lady Wisdom, who's actually the foil of the woman that we've met before, the seductress woman, and Lady Folly. First Lady Wisdom, beginning in verse 1, chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Lady Wisdom has prepared a banquet. Her invitation is public, open. Her servants go out into the city streets and invite everyone. She herself goes to the highest point to make her invitation universal. There is but one requirement, admission of your true condition. That a heart not shaped by wisdom lacks sense is simple. Now we've met the simple person, do you recall? They are naive. They are easily misled. The threshold of what they accept as fact is terribly low. They are vulnerable to anyone who can spin a few loosely related facts, can spin out a few stats, or can, can document a one-dimensional scientific study. They can wrap all that into a compelling narrative and the naive person follows it. You know, let's be really honest here. Admitting you are simple-minded, admitting that you are naive, is very difficult. It's similar to what Nick shared last week about the lazy person. We're so repulsed by this internally, we're so repulsed when we see it in others, it's very hard to admit in ourselves. We feel such a strong repulsion to being misled or taken advantage of. You know, I, I've had to address this reality many times. And it's, it's, it's so difficult when you think that you may be being manipulated or deceived in a relationship. And there's such a tension there, especially when it is with people that we are called to love, that we must love, but we can't discern if I'm being manipulated. You ever felt that tension? Man, I mean, that dynamic creates some of the strongest conflict of emotions that we will ever experience. Repulsed by those who are naive or at our own vulnerability, we are so tempted to think we've risen above it. And we may be tempted to take pride in our discernment. But if we are not careful, we can become blind to our blindness. And that's a dangerous place to be. Streaks of being the simple man run through all of us. 
in my younger days, I was very impressionable to strong, empathic, emotional arguments, even if it was short on facts. And in more lucid moments, even at 60 years old with three decades of pastoral experience, I must admit that tendency remains. It still lurks within me to be lazy mentally because we want to come to conclusions or we don't want to think about something. Proverbs 9, 9 admonishes all of us saying, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. What does that say about the condition of the heart of the wise? The moment that you think you are above instruction, the moment you think you have no more to learn is when blindness has made its entrance through the back door. It's why we need so much God's wisdom and we need the community. We need God's wisdom spoken through the church, through the community of one another. Now let's, so, so Lady Wisdom, back to Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom invites the simple, you and me, to come eat and grow. Let's look at the other lady, Lady Folly, beginning in verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Now there are obvious similarities. She too has planted herself in the city center. She too calls out from the highest place to those who pass by. She too calls out to the simple. But notice her ploy. I like how one writer, Lita Costner, said it. She says, Folly promises the same pleasure that wisdom does, but without any of the hard work or integrity. Notice it's stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret, not transparently, not in public, is secret, is pleasure. It's a pathway of short cuts and dead ends because she herself is blind. She herself is easily, has been misled. She's like the adulterous woman we met earlier, but here she represents that and more. She represents the seduction of only living for the here and now. The life lived to gain as much pleasure as one can before they die. It's a life lived solely for the temporal pleasures of whatever wealth, sexual freedom, and the oppression of others can bring. These have been the themes throughout the first nine chapters. Framed. These things have been framed as prime competitors for your heart. Or the temptation may simply be the pursuit of a quiet, middle-class respectability if we are to apply the caution against conforming to peer pressure. Son, says the father as he closes out this section, son, and to the royal princes he was training for nobility, now you must 
choose. We have come to a fork in the road. And to not choose is to default to lady folly. This is not a mere intellectual exercise. This is not a pass-fail test at school with temporary consequences. Do you feel his urgency at the end? Do you feel the father's passion here? Look at how he closes. But little do they know, those who follow Lady Folly, little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This is a hint of hell, eternal separation from God. The voice you listen to, the road you walk, is the difference between life and death. So this becomes his final appeal following his closing argument to his son. You too must choose. You must choose. To not choose is to choose Lady Folly. Which way you will go? It's a question that confronts all of us. Well, what else can we say about this passage? There have already been, we just had one, there have already been some obvious applications. But when I think about the evidence of wisdom in God's creation and ask, how does that relate to the vision of God that we need today? What strikes my heart in a fresh way is a vision of God as all wise. A vision so majestic, so splendid, so otherworldly that it breaks through our self-erected barriers of what God could actually be. Because God created the world. And did you pay attention to the language in chapter 8? Did you notice how often it talked about boundaries and fixing this and, and setting that? Uh, uh, literally, uh, fixed securely the foundations of the deep, set its boundaries, marked out the foundations of the earth. It's clear he's telling us creation is under God's wise control. One commentator said this, chaos won't overwhelm us. Natural law doesn't rule the world. God does. And we can trust him with our lives. We don't need to live in fear. Now, theologians have been trying to wrap their head around this idea of God all-wise for a long time. A.W. Tozer, in the book Knowledge of the Holy, writes about this, about God's wisdom. He writes this, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. Another idea of God all-wise comes to us from Charles Octavius Booth. Now that name may not be familiar to you. Booth was an African-American pastor born into slavery and his dream to instruct ordinary people. His book was called Plain Theology 
for plain people. And using imagery from Exodus 28, where there were a, 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 a description of a breastplate that was used by the priests for worship, and it was set in these beautiful 12 stones were set into it. So with that as a picture, he said this about wisdom. Wisdom consists in the ability, ability to apply the various items of our knowledge in such a way as to accomplish a desired end. And it may be likened to the ability to arrange the precious stones, each in its proper place. Yet, we have seen men with a large amount of information who, from a, from a lack of wisdom, were not able to arrange, adjust, and crystallize what they knew into a life of beauty and usefulness. See where he's going here is having to find wisdom, having to find wisdom and how men fail. Booth goes on to say that God's wisdom does not fail and it is most apparent in his plan of grace. God has perfect ends and the most effective means to secure those ends. And what are God's purposes? What are God's purposes? I love how J.I. Packer spells this out in his book called Knowing God. Again, a chapter about God as all wise. Packer says this again. This is the purposes of God. What is he after then? What is his goal? What does he aim at? When he made us, his purpose was that we should love and honor him, praising him for the wonderful ordered complexity and variety of his world, using it according to his will, and so enjoying both it and him. And though we have fallen, God has not abandoned his first purpose. Still, he plans that a great host of humankind should come to love and honor him. This is the Great Commission. This is why we exist as a church, to join God in doing this. Do you need a fresh vision, as I have needed, of God as all wise? His wisdom is profound and his power is vast. Job 9, 4. To to God belong wisdom and power, Job 12, 13. He is mighty in strength and wisdom, Job 36, 5. He has great power and mighty strength, and his understanding no one can fathom, Isaiah 40, 26, and 28. Wisdom and power are his, Daniel 2, 20. A vision of God all wise teaches us to trust him through chaos, through unanswered prayer, and an uncertain future. It teaches us, though, that we may be afraid to keep our faith public and our mission clear. It says to us in this pandemic, it says to us at a time when the world is growing more hostile towards the church, don't be afraid. Do not fear death. My plans will not be short-circuited. The Great Commission has not taken pause. It is still fully in play 
It is the heartbeat of God. And as we draw close to him, it ought to become our heartbeat as well. God all-wise confronts us with a vision of God that breaks us into new heights. That vision holds the promise of transforming us if we believe what we see. So what am I urging you to do this morning? I'm urging you to choose life by doing two things. To choose life by one, get a vision for God as all-wise. I've given you some great authors. Much of this material is actually available on the internet. A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, J.I. Packer, um, Knowing God, Charles Octavius Booth, Plain Theology for Plain People. You may do a word study in the scriptures around wisdom, seeing how often it's used as an attribute of an all-wise God. And then secondly, join him in his plan of grace for the world. This is our purpose. This is our mission. This is why we're here. If this mission was not in place, we could just have gone up to heaven. We're called to this heartbeat of God to communicate his grace. Did you pick that up in the song we sang, the third song we sang? His dream, his vision for humanity, that praise would lift to him from the entire world. My wife and I are quite behind. We were actually reading two devotionals at once. We just read Psalm 117 at our evening time last night. That's the devotional most of you worked through last year. And we read Psalm 117. It's the shortest psalm of all the psalms, and yet it just, its heart beats with the Great Commission. <laughs> and God's desire for the nations to know him. I want to encourage you to keep this mission clear, to keep this mission in front of you, to be a part of going and making disciples in in your world, in your marketplace, in your living room, to keep that mission center, to give to it, to support it, to live for it. Get a vision for God as all wise and join him in his plan of grace for the world, the Great Commission. You know, wisdom, wisdom was personified today in our section in Proverbs chapter 8. And the early church fathers, they, were, they tried to make sense of this. And they equated that wisdom with the actual person of Jesus. But as we've seen, he could not be the creature brought forth poetically in Proverbs, for he was the creator himself. Now, the, but the church fathers, they were not too far off. There is a relationship. There is a, a correspondence, an analogy between the wisdom we saw in Proverbs 8 and in the person of Jesus. And later, writer of the New, writers of the New Testament saw that similarity. They saw how the wisdom in Proverbs 8 pointed to Jesus. Colossians 1.16, Paul wrote this, For in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Christ 
and for Christ. In the prologue of John's gospel, he makes it very clear that Jesus was with the Father at creation. And the world was created in and for and through the Son. So Jesus is the goal of creation. And so it's quite clear, if you want to know the wisdom of God, if we are to choose wisdom, then it begins by following Jesus and bowing to him as the creator of the world that we live in. Let's pray. Father, you're in this room today watching us and rejoicing over us and enjoying us and you call us to enjoy you as our creator. And like little children, Father, we want to receive your love this morning. Like little children, we want to abandon, Lord, our proclivity towards intellectualizing everything, thinking we can figure everything out, thinking we have nothing to learn. We want to come to you, Lord, recognizing our simplicity, admitting that we can be easily misled. And we come to you with faith and pray that, Father, you would receive us through Christ. And that we, Father, as your people, we could grow in knowledge and discernment and depth of insight. And we could listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom. And we could follow her path by following Jesus, our creator, the goal of creation. Father, we pray that we could Renew our mission today, understanding why we're here and why we're made. And our faith would be public, our mission would be clear. We'd be about describing and living and telling the good news of Jesus to everyone. We'd be about pursuing justice, mercy, kindness. Father, we entrust this church to you, those that are content this morning, those that are hurting, those that are apathetic and needed a challenge, those that needed an encouraging word to sustain them. Father, we trust that all of your good gifts are being given even now as we pray through the Holy Spirit. Lord, from your spirit to our spirits. We pray, we thank you for our study this morning, and we pray that you'd seal these lessons in our heart. We wouldn't forget them. We wouldn't forget our introduction to Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. When we see this created world, we wouldn't forget, Lord, that it is evidence of your creation. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to travel far away to see your beauty. We can many nights, especially the summer and the fall, we can picture the sunsets 
oranges and blues and purples splashed, splashed onto the sky as a canvas. One, unlike any that has ever gone before through all millennia. You're a creative God. You're a beautiful God. You're a wonderful God. You created this world for us to enjoy. Lord, the earth is full of your love. We do see so much fallenness and so much hurt. But God, if we look beyond, we see that this earth, still there is evidence of your love. And we know that in the age to come, you will make a new heaven and a new earth. You'll renew this earth to what it once was. We look forward, Lord, to inhabiting it, to enjoying it for all eternity. Help us, Lord, may nothing steal our heart and affections from you. May we have a simple and pure devotion to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you go ahead and stand, please? I'll be here and would invite any of the pastors who are able to come down front and this morning, if, you know, the ministry time, the, our time here doesn't end. The ministry time continues. Jesus came teaching and demonstrating, which means he not only taught, but he healed and he ministered to and he prayed for and he brought blessing to. So, so we'll be here up front. And this morning, if you need a blessing, if you need prayer, if you need healing, physical or emotional, uh, if you need reconciliation with God or with others, the ministry time continues. The, the, the power of his word continues. The demonstration of his power continues here. So we'll be here, and other members of our prayer team are welcome to join us. Let's, let's raise your hands for a final benediction and blessing then. May our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that we may be able to discern what is best so that we will be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. 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 Go in peace.